Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read all the way from Hebrews 3, verse 7 to 4, verse 13. We're reading that together in the context of the second warning that is given to the Hebrew readers, the readers of Hebrews, that would be us. Um, so we're going to read all the way through chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 13. Let's read. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my words, my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed... We hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he said, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested 
from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. And may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. All right. We're going to look at this first warning together. And I want to ask before we do, if all you were given in life by God, if the only thing God did for you or gave to you was Jesus, and you faltered at everything else and everything else, was stripped from you and you were given nothing but Christ. You got to see Him in full. And He walked with you and He told you where to go and you had no idea of what you were doing or where you were going or what you were going to do with your life and you just followed Him. And, but He gave you all of Himself. Would that be enough? Would that be enough? Would you look at your life and say, it's all I need? I ask that question because it's uncomfortable. And I want to remind you that the warnings given in the book of Hebrews are not designed to be explained away easily. They are designed and specifically notated for you to be uncomfortable. Yay! So when we read the warnings in Hebrews, one of the temptations that we have is to explain them away. You'll see theologians do this. They'll explain away the warning. You'll see pastors do it, explaining away the application of the warning. You'll see a great many people explain these away. We want to let this land on us here. We want to go word by word, verse by verse, line by line, and just let it hit us. So, I'd ask again, if all you had was Christ and everything else was stripped away and you were living in the wilderness and the only thing you could do is rely on His provision, would that be enough? Would that be enough? Indeed, I can't not answer that question. It has to. See, that's the warning the author of Hebrews is giving us here. He's, he's pointing to a group of people who were miraculously taken out of slavery, who were redeemed by the blood of a lamb over a doorpost, and then set free, passing through the waters of salvation into an infinite wilderness. They, they lost all worldly comforts. They had God walking in their midst. And for them, it never seemed to be 
enough. Never seemed to be enough. First they grumble about water. They come to a lake and the water's bitter. And Moses throws some wood into the water and suddenly it tastes sweet and is great. Then they grumble about magic, about not having enough food and God sends magic bread from the sky every morning. Literally, what is this? Mana, manna from the sky. They walk a little further, clearly being provided for. They complain some more and Moses is told, strike the rock and water poured forth for the people. They complain again about the bread, saying, I'm tired of magic honey bread from the sky. We want meat like we had in Egypt. <laughs> so they didn't have in Egypt, by the way. Um, we want meat like we had back when we were slaves and were forced to only eat what they gave us. And God sends them enough meat to where the poetry of the Hebrew says it came forth out of their nose. He gave them so much. Hebrew way of saying there was so much meat that people got sick. They come to another hill and Moses is mad this time and they need water and Moses is told to speak to the rock this time. The rock having already been struck in another passage, Jesus only dies once, only needs to die once. Jesus is the rock, in case you didn't get the analogy there. And Moses strikes the rock again, and God says, you did not listen. This is important. You were supposed to speak to the rock. You won't enter the promised land. You have not trusted me. So the Hebrew author here, the author of Hebrews, writes here in verses 7 through 4, 13, this warning for us about entering rest and calling us to obey Jesus. If we have faith, faith demonstrates itself in obedience. Faith without obedience is not faith. So, I don't want this to be a comfortable message for you. I want you to hear it, and I want it to land on us. I want it to strike a chord with us. That first question I want to come back to again. If all you have is Christ, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? It is the question I ask myself in ministry. If all I have is Christ, if there is never any large presence of fruitful ministry for me, if Thousands don't hear me proclaim the gospel, but only this small group in here. If this is never further than my voice goes proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, if I am never given more worldly success, but I get all of Christ, that's enough. That's enough. So, let's dive in again to the warning. Two weeks ago we covered 
the psalm that this morning comes from. Hopefully that set you up to hear this this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, first, first off, recognize this is the word of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word itself. The Holy Spirit is the one that speaks through Scripture. He's quoting an Old Testament psalm. But the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit's voice. The New Testament is the Holy Spirit's voice. He has spoken out in Scripture. This is what Paul means in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, when he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The Spirit's voice is in the Scripture. So we read, today, if you hear His voice, I know that when we read through this, you saw the emphasis in this portion of Scripture, today, today, just grab hold of that for a minute, put it back here, we're going to come back to it. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a painful thing to read. The people of Israel who were redeemed by miraculous provision, who were rescued by the death of a lamb, who crossed through the waters, who walked through the wilderness, who were provided the bread of heaven, who are given the presence of God, who are handed the water of life. I hope you're seeing all the parallels that Jesus draws with himself in the book of John here. Water of life, the lamb slain, the bread of heaven, even the purifying fire from the mountain. All pictures of Jesus Christ for you. These people who were redeemed by this rock, they rebel against it. They rebel against it. And God says they will not enter His rest. So the warning comes here, take care Brothers, this word take care means to see. It means quite literally to see and examine, to discern here. So the idea here is that we um, who have been told by the Spirit not to harden our hearts, not to make our hearts places of stone, but rather to soften ourselves to the gospel, soften ourselves to God, we who have been instructed to do that by the Spirit must discern our own hearts. Examine your hearts is the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, which we read every week for communion. Examine your hearts to make sure there's no wicked way within you. Examine yourself. Discern your heart. Now, just a heads up, if you are serious about discerning your heart, buckle up. It's hard. And it's sometimes painful. We start to introspect ourselves and immediately our, 
our natural state will begin to look for excuses not to examine ourselves. For me, it usually happens like this. I sit down to have some time of prayer and meditation and fasting and and reading the scripture and get ready to study. I've got everything laid out and my phone shows a notification. And I go, oh, what's that? No, no, stop. And I turn my phone over and I start again. And I try to focus in and then my kids make noise. Oh, what's going on over there? No, and then I have to stop again, and I come back. Then a phone, the phone rings, and somebody calls, and I have to stop and ignore the phone call. If I ever do that, no, there's a good reason for it. Ignore the phone call. Or, the, or a text goes off. Or I start thinking about lunch, or dinner, or breakfast tomorrow, or something else. Or what movie I want to watch. Anything except focusing in to see myself. And yet, here, we are commanded in Scripture to discern, to look at our hearts, to discern what's going on inside us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Notice. This is best done in community. He's not talking just about you individually. He's talking about us. He's addressing the community. All of us. Take care. Discern your heart. Examine your heart. Least there be an unbelieving heart in any of you. This is not done by yourself. You don't do Christianity by yourself. You do Christianity with the church. And you are especially privileged. I am especially privileged. We have a special privilege here in that we can determine what small body of believers we're going to plug in with. You realize... That almost no other time in history have you had the smorgasbord of churches to choose from that you do today. It's amazing. You can literally walk through Brazoria and count them. There's a ton of them. Now, to be fair, some of those aren't churches. And some are. I'm not going to tell you which ones. We're just going to blanket pray for all of them. I might tell you some. But we're going to blanket pray for all of them. I'm not going to tell you in a sermon. Blanket pray even for the ones that aren't. So, we are called here to discern, take care, engage, to examine our hearts, lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a severe warning for the whole community. We are to grab each other. When we don't see each other, when you don't see each other, you are to contact each other. We are to contact one another. We are to be in connection with each other. One of the great things I love about Sovereign Grace is that We do this 
we connect with each other, we talk to each other, we text each other, we check on each other when we're not there, we ask about each other. One of the things that we strive to do, and we do well, we could do even better. We do well, but we could do it even better. So, as a body, we grab each other, we examine Examine your heart. Remember that Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 reminds us that your old self was corrupted by deceitful desires. And that your new self is no longer that way. This is not who you are. You are urged in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 to make the most of the time because the days are evil. Make the most of the time, because days are evil. Look down at verse 13. It says, instead of falling away, here, this is the contrast, it says, instead exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we are to exhort each other, to grab each other, to lift each other up, to hold each other's hearts up, and defend and help each other to grow. This is part of your mission as a Christian, is to grab each other and to lift one another up, to exhort each other to godliness and holiness to pursue Christ together. We are to lift one another up as long as it is called today. Did you notice the Spirit does not say yesterday? He doesn't focus on your past. He calls you to follow now. Isn't that great? You know, there's, there's a lot of coaches and leaders and teachers and, and CEOs who fail to lead people well because they grab them and they focus on what has been done in the past and they harp on it, what has happened in the past, what you, ways you have failed in the past. But here the Spirit of God, He doesn't say yesterday... You did this. He doesn't tell you that. He says, Today, don't harden your heart. Today, exhort one another. As long as it's today, right now, exhort one another. It doesn't matter if you failed at this in the past. It doesn't matter if you failed at this yesterday. It doesn't matter if this morning when you woke up, you didn't feel this right. doesn't matter. He says, today, now, we have a forward-moving spirit. The spirit is not caught up with what we do wrong. He's obsessed with where we're going, which is to know Christ and to know Him abundantly and pursue Him completely. He's obsessed with it, so much so that if you, if you go that direction, you will find Him pushing you 
and dragging you and picking you up and carrying you frequently. This is the Spirit of God as long as it is called today. Exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So notice the contrast. God, the Spirit, pushes us forward, calls us to go forward. Sin lies to us and keeps us in a stagnant position. Hardened, here he says, that none of you would be hardened or made stiff or unable to move by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies. It lies to you. It tells you that you will be happy with it. It tells you this will bring you joy, momentary and fleeting, but still joy. And if you just continue to do it, you'll continue to feel good. And you know that that's a lie. You know it's a lie. You know that this is the nature of sin. You know that the days are evil that your former nature was corrupted through the deceitfulness of sin. You know it is, and yet, we will still stumble right back into it. We contrast that with the Spirit. If we give in to sin, we become hardened and stagnant. And it is difficult to get out. It's especially difficult to get out of hardened, stagnant sin by yourself. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you can't get out of that by yourself. And guess what? It's really easy to get out of it. You simply call a brother, sister, who will battle with you. I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? And most often you'll be surprised that the response is, yes, let's do it. And almost never condemnation. Say almost, because we're not perfect. And in the body, you're going to frustrate each other. You're going to bite at each other sometimes. Wrongly. You're going to hurt each other. But, if we will exhort one another, we will thrive and grow more into Christ and more into His presence. So we move forward. We don't stagnate in the deceitfulness of sin. We fight sin and we move forward as long as it's called today, pursuing the Lord. For, and here's why, for we have come to share in Christ. Get that. You have share in Christ as though Christ is a stock and you own a part of it. But more than that, more than that, that what has happened in Christ has happened to you. I have been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Not I, but Christ within me. In other words, I have died with Him, my sin has died with Him, my sinful nature has died with Him, and I have been resurrected to new life, and a new nature, and a new spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, who lives and resides inside me. Indeed, he didn't stop there. He put me among other believers, and I'm surrounded by Christians. 
And if I am by myself, guess what else is crazy? I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before me. A great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before me, who are spiritually in heaven, praying, interceding for the Lord to return. Their, their prayers are going up like incense to it. The martyrs of old. And indeed, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf. I share in Christ. You share in Christ. This is why we exhort one another. This is why we lift each other up. This is why we are a body of believers, because Christ dwells within us. And in dwelling within us, He dwells among us. No one has ever seen God yet. He is made manifest in this, that we love one another. So, here, for we have come to share in Christ. And then, here's the warning phrase again. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, we share in Christ if we hold to our original confidence to the end. Hold tight to it. Firm to it. To the end. What is our confidence? Christ Jesus is our confidence. We have no confidence apart from Him. All of our confidence is Christ Jesus who has been present among us and who has changed our souls. So we hold fast to this. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord so that we are able to live in rest. We are able to live in rest. As it is said today, not yesterday, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So this this series of questions here in verses 16 through 18 is a response to the one who would say, but the church is not Israel. You're right. But don't miss the warning. You're right. The church is not Israel. But don't miss the warning. Those who rebelled in the wilderness were those who were rescued from slavery to death. Those who rebelled in the wilderness were the ones who saw the works of God. Those who rebelled in the wilderness were the ones who saw God on a mountain and heard His voice. So be careful. Examine yourself. Make sure this is real. Examine yourself because it is real. Jesus is God. He has redeemed and He has saved. He has rescued. This is true. If it's true, then we hold fast to that. We hold on to it with all that we are. And with whom was He provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did He swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. 
so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Look at what he calls their disobedience. Unbelief. He doesn't just say, oh, they did a couple things wrong. He says at the end, they were unable to enter because they did not believe. The fruit of our faith is born out in our hands. The heart changes, the hands follow. The fruit of our faith is born out in our hands. So you want to know, you want assurance of your faith, look back on your life. Are you closer to Christ now than you were before? Are you more like Him now than you were in the days past? That answer needs to be yes. The answer needs to be yes. And if it's not yes, then repent and believe today. Today, repent and believe. Because it's today. While the day is here, we need to follow. Because there will come a time when following is no longer an option for the unbelieving. So if you believe, Prove it. Your heart plays out in your hands. Faith changes your heart, and your heart then obeys. Your hands then obey and follow. He speaks again of this rest that is coming. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The warning is this, that there are going to be those who do not believe. And that we don't want to be those who do not believe. That we want to obey and follow Christ out of an obedience that stems from a heart that follows him. We want to be proven as those who believe. Israel saw everything. Remember that first thing. Take care. See. Discern. Pay close attention to. Israel saw everything except what God did. Way back at the beginning of this chapter, do you remember the first command in chapter 3? Consider Jesus. Gaze upon him. Stare at him. Make him the central focus. Make artworks to him. Be obsessed with his beauty and his glory. This image of somebody who stares at an artwork for hours in order to understand every nuance of the artwork. That's the way we're to approach Jesus. We're to approach him with this gaze of his beauty and his glory and his mercy and just to stare at him. That we would be filled with understanding of who He is and the knowledge of who He is. This is what we are called to do. Take care. Discern. Look at, stare at Jesus. Israel stared at everything else. 
They're in the wilderness, and what do they complain about? Well, back in Egypt, we had cups. Back in Egypt, we had plates. Here, we got to eat manna with our hands. Back in Egypt, we got meat once in a while when our masters were feeling generous. Now, we just get this magic bread from heaven. Just let that sink in. That is the dumbest thing ever to complain about. You are getting magic bread in piles every morning, enough to fill you with leftovers that you don't even have to take care of, and you complain about it and say, I want pigeon. God says, you want pigeon? All right. We'll give you pigeon because it's quail, but we all know pigeon, quail. Same thing, just prettier. That's it. (laughs) Everybody knows. Just a bigger pigeon. So we are called here not to be like that. They looked at everything except Christ. We are called to stare at Jesus. To gaze upon Him. I was driving through the mountains on this vacation this last week. As I drove, mountains are gorgeous, by the way. They're bigger than overpasses. (laughs) And they're beautiful. As we're driving through these mountain passes, just the most beautiful scenes would come up, and it occurred to me that these gorgeous mountain hills that seem to sing all on their own, that when you're driving, you, you almost hear music. These gorgeous hills pale in comparison to God. They can't hold a candle to it. They're a mere shadow. They're created. And I'm in awe of these massive mountains and hills and and seeing these things. And yet, I was reminded of the glory of God exceeds this altogether. No one proclaims the glory of creation when they see Jesus. see Jesus and they go, look at what he made. Look at what he did. Look at him. You see, we tend to be this way and look at everything around us and see this world and go, this is awesome. When in reality, We're supposed to look at these things and go, Jesus is incredible. These things don't hold a candle to it. Stand in awe of beauty. And fight to see Christ. Stand in awe of beauty and fight to see Christ. And Christ alone. Because sin will want you to see only it. And will want to bog you down onto this earth. And yet, we are called to gaze upon Jesus. To discern our hearts. To exhort one another. To lift one another up. To see Christ and Christ alone. And we can do it. Because He has redeemed us and rescued us. 
and put His Spirit living inside of us. And that is a power beyond anything the adversary can throw at us. Let's pray, and we'll enter into a time of communion. Father, we love You, and we are so grateful for Your work, for life. Lord, thank you.